past two weeks, we've been looking at John Wesley's um, teachings about money. Uh, it comes out of a sermon by the title of How to Use Money, he preached. And it's about earning all you can and saving all you can. We've shared those the past couple of weeks. And I've given you the opportunity during that time uh, to look to someone near you and tell a story, one about the first money you ever earned or something young, early, and also about when you first learned to save. Now today I want to continue that tradition, so to speak, because the topic of the day is how to give away we can, and, and the day is about giving. So I'd like for you to think for a moment. Uh, I'm going to give you, share my story and let you share yours with those around you of an early time in your life, maybe the first time you ever remember giving something away. Okay, is that fine? Now it goes back to me. I think there are two things I'll share with you. First of all, when we were small, it was a part of our tradition in the family. As children, our parents would often, in worship, place a coin in our hand when we were about time for the preacher, for the offering plates to pass. No earlier than that, or they'd be rolling down the floor, okay? So just before they're going to pass, when the offering plate came by, we would put that coin in the offering plate. That was when we were very small. And then later, I learned, as I told last week with my first job, And I share with you my parents teaching me to go and save. At the same time, they taught me about tithing to the church. And my parents encouraged me to remember that. And each Sunday, even after I'd given mom the money about for savings, I would go to church and give my 50 cents or a dollar, whatever the total was. So I learned to give uh, as a teenager to the church. And for me, it was giving a lot. Okay? Now, I'd like for you to take for a moment... Turn to somebody next to you, either direction. Talk for a moment about a time when you first experienced giving something yourself. Do that. I hope that uh, story gives a, a good feeling. That's part of what giving does, I think, is we feel like our life is touching someone or other people beyond maybe our own reach. And this congregation responded so well to it. Think about what it means to give generously. Uh, John Wesley would say, to give all you can. Uh, You know, each week, virtually every week, there are people who come by our congregation with different kinds of needs. And due to your support of our assistance fund, we're able to say yes many times to people. And uh, I am thankful that I'm one who gets to often say that yes on your behalf. But it's you that's through your generosity that keeps that kind of response happening in the life of this church and I think represents Christ and our ministry well. We are doing more than simply uh, paying our bills or keeping the building open. We are reaching out to those in need around us, uh, for some who come to us and others to whom we go, and I know that pleases God. Jesus tells a, a few stories, and the one about Zacchaeus is one that connects to this theme well. We could tell the whole story, but the key part I want to focus on is Zacchaeus' response after Jesus calls him down out of the tree and invites himself over for lunch, something that Zacchaeus would never expect to happen. There's no uh, preaching moment there. There's no altar calls. There's no baptism. There's none of the formality that we associate with conversion and us uh, seeing it in someone. But there is a transformation in the life of Zacchaeus. But he is someone who has lived most of his life as a tax collector, collecting as much as he could out of the people around him, paying Rome uh, the required taxes for his tax district, 
keeping the rest for himself. But once he meets Jesus, something changes in him. Without any request on Jesus' part, he simply announces, I'm going to give half of all that I have to the poor, and I'm going to repay anyone I may have overcharged their taxes by four times as much. And it was with great joy that he received Jesus, and he gave away what he had. What a change in the life of someone who spent most of his life simply trying to make all he can, for our theme would never stop, would make or save. That all happens so that we can, in turn, give all we can. So without moving to that, we miss the point. The the writer of Proverbs tells us in the wisdom words these things. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. He's saying it is helpful to us always to our own spirit as we learn to be helpful to other people. That may be in a small act or in a large one. It may be in something we do or in something we give. Charles Dickinson's story, A Christmas Carol, may come up again in this Christmas season. You remember in it the character of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, you can tell a lot about Ebenezer, but what I like most of all is after Ebenezer's conversion... After his heart changing, Ebenezer becomes a generous man. His spirit changes. And there is a joy about Ebenezer that never existed in his life during the time he simply tried to keep all he could get out of anyone. He found no joy in that life. He found his joy when he learned to give. Every so often, I'll hear someone say these words, you know, if or when I win the lottery, I'm going to, then they finish out a sentence. It's usually about something they hope to do that's pretty grand. They want to support something. They want to give something. They want to do something. Something far beyond they can imagine giving to at the moment. But if they should come across that large sum in an instant, they certainly are going to include it in the thing to do list. Now, I I equate that approach sort of like the last week when we said that if you have this savings plan, and the saving plan is this, if at the end of the month you're simply going to save what's left over, then you really don't have a plan. The same thing is true if our giving away is limited to the idea that when somewhere I fall into a giant pot of money, all of a sudden I now have it to give away. Instead, God is looking for us to use the resources of the present creating in us a joy that makes life and our faith come to life. Martin Luther, uh, the 16th century reformer, brought about the Reformation, uh, said there are three conversions necessary in the Christian life. One is the conversion of the heart. We speak about that often in the life of the church. There's also the conversion of the mind. We learn to think in a different way, to understand in a new way. And then he said, there is the conversion of the purse. That's how we go about spending what we have. It says so much about who we are and what we believe and what is important to us or not important. He wants us to know we can do better. Jesus, what does it take to impress Jesus? That's a pretty big question. And you find in the story we often call the widow's might the answer. 
That story is called it because there is a widow identified when Jesus is sitting watching people put money into the temple treasury, each one bringing their bags of coins. Remember, there's no folding money back then. It's all about coins. And they're dropping in bags full, and people can hear the clank of the money. They can all be impressed. Along comes a widow lady in the line. She drops the small coins in that make no sound. She walks away. Unnoticed, it seems, by anyone except by Jesus. And Jesus immediately calls the disciples and said, Did you see that? Well, what did we see, Lord? She, that woman over there, she gave more than everyone else. I imagine a moment they're scratching their head and thinking, I didn't hear that money fall in. I didn't see her carrying those big bags you're talking about. Don't you see all those other folks in the line, Lord, that's got those big bags? Certainly they have more to give than her. And Jesus says these words, they have given out of their abundance. She gave all out of her poverty. Always remembering what did it take to impress Jesus. The impression is not that she simply gave up everything. He's not asking us that. But it brings up a big question. Does our giving affect our own lives? Does it ever make us change a habit? Do we have to give up anything because we've made a gift? Does it change what we can do? Because he says, when it does, it approaches what he measures as generosity. It is the impact on the giver he looks for. The difference it makes in the giver's life. That capacity they have for what comes next for them. Do you feel it when you give? Now, you need to know about John Wesley. You know, the first week we mentioned that John Wesley uh, was considered to be the richest wage earner in his day, that he earned some 30,000 British pounds, equivalent in today's American money, worth about $7 million. And you and I are going, ooh, ooh, that's good. And then we learned last week that he was also was a great saver, that Wesley uh, set a pattern early in his life where he at first made only 30 pounds in a year. He learned he could live as a single man without other responsibilities off of 28 pounds and he could give away the two remaining. As his salary went up the next stage to about 70 pounds, then he would still live on 28, giving away the balance. Eventually when his salary reached a high point of about 1,400 pounds in a year, he still lived on 28 pounds. He didn't spend it. He was a saver. He didn't go out and find what he could do. He lived a simple life all the way to the end. In fact, if you estimate it correctly, it means that in his life, John Wesley spent only about 6% of his earnings on himself. He saved all the rest. Is that a challenge or what? You go, I don't think we can get that percentage built into the day, but where can we go? I don't want it to sound like that God is blessing only the small givers as the widows might. That's not the intent at all. But God can use the small gift and the large gift. The larger gifts can often do so much more because of their size. God can bless them both. John Wesley depended on some large givers for the early Methodist movement. One of those was Shirley Hastings. She was also named, known as Lady Bountiful, and her, in her generosity, she did the following. She 
built 64 Methodist chapels, supported early missionaries to America, and established the first Methodist theological seminary. That large amount gave large opportunities, and God could bless that in very special ways. I believe that God used her, and God continues to use us. So then, what did John Wesley do with all that money that he saved? What he did is he gave it away. He didn't wait to the end of his life. He gave it away as it went on uh, each day or each pay period. He liked to, to take that time, find something he could do with it, and give that ministry to it. He said, when he dies, if you can find more than 10 pounds on him, that you can consider him to be unfaithful and unworthy. In fact, when he died, all the money he had was a few coins in his pocket and a few coins in a dresser drawer. No more money. He had given it all away. The only substantial thing left behind he did not give away was his library, which would go to others. He was a man who gave generously, felt the impact of that by many people, a man who knew what it was to make a lot, to save a lot, and give away a great deal. And his life was filled full of joy. He felt an urgency. He felt a need to call the people around him to that same kind of Christ-centered life, that God could do so much if we lived in a practical way, in our wisdom and understanding, how we use relations, how we live in relationships and use the things, money, stuff around us, and our faith and our finances, God would bless that. He was convinced of that. Paul said in 1 Timothy, tell them to use their money to do good. You know, in our today in America around us, you see uh, signs of charity. And you see acts of stewardship. I want to distinguish what those two are for you. Charity is a compassionate, generous, and appropriate response to a specific need. Usually it's identified in our culture. Uh, I think United Way would be consider itself a charity. We call most any nonprofit organization out there a charity. People give to them and their purposes, and they generally help specifically to a kind of need for which it is designed. Then there's stewardship. Stewardship is for followers of Christ. It's a practical expression of Jesus' love and is a beautiful thing to see. It is a response of who we are and the way we use what we have. While charity can happen in a moment, stewardship takes a lifetime. It calls for a change in our financial priorities and the way in which we live. It is a measure of the difference it makes in the giver, not just the one who receives. God knows who we are and what we have. Now, how do we learn to give? And I think in terms of those who give within the offerings of the church, I find there's three ways that we often begin and hopefully to which we move. One is we begin as tossers. 
That's what Wesley's word for it, is that you're a person who, you know, when the need is there, you open up your wallet, you pull out something that was in it, and you toss it in the offering plate. It means that you've given off the edge of what you have. It didn't require a lot of thought. Just at the moment the opportunity came, you pulled it out and you gave it. That was it. It's simple. It moves on. Then he said, hopefully we move on to become triers. Triers are people who try to take a, to make a plan and design a systematic way that they can move forward in their lives of stewardship. They are giving. They're designing their finances and their family and commitments around it. He said there's also the tithers, people who acknowledge that in the scriptures it tells us that we are to give God 10%. That's not, by the way, a, a design of an end point. One layman said tithing is the great place to begin, but a terrible place to stop. It is the starting point for our generosity that God can do so much more with us in the fruit of our labors. Jim Coward is the pastor of Harvest Church in Warner Robins. Harvest is one of our new congregation. It has now, I think, 16 years old. One of the first ones that was started under the, the purpose-driven life model um, it is early church that only uses contemporary a structure to it and the small group method of organizing the congregation. Uh, Jim wrote a book, and I'm now reading on it. The book is called Things to Start, Things to Stop. In his book, he said, there's one thing you should stop. You should stop having financial campaigns. I said, well, shut your mouth. He's telling me, right in the middle of this, am I supposed to tell him to quit, stop having financial campaigns? Is he, would I tell you that? Why would I tell you that on Sunday morning? I mean, it was in the book, but he read it to me. But then he told me what they do. And I thought, okay, I, I can go with that. Maybe we got to do this in the future. We're going to move forward now, but maybe this is the future. He said, what they do, remember now, the crowd he attracts is largely under unchurched people. Uh, or marginally church people, that now on a Sunday morning, their attendance is over 2,000 people. They have three different campuses to it. It is a thriving church. You might expect that some folks expect a church like that is kind of thin on discipleship, but this is their teaching and practice in the way you do stewardship. He said, three times a year, we preach a series related to your finances and your discipleship. And we always teach tithing. He said, and people always respond. And what's more, we give them a guarantee. It goes like this. We tell people that if you will begin tithing, and you'll continue at least three months, from three to six months, if any time during that period of time you felt like that you could not afford it, that you didn't want to do it, it wasn't working for you, you can ask for every bit of it back, and it will be given to you, no questions asked. You want to know how many have asked, don't you? And to date, no one has ever asked for their money back. Somewhere in that, they found that reorienting life in a way that gives God a priority is worth all the challenge that's come with it. And God has certainly blessed that congregation many times over. It's a challenge. Maybe we got to go there. 
They require all their church leaders to tithe. All of them. You say, and that's one of those new church starts of people that were mostly uh, didn't have a Christian background. Is that way it goes? Just maybe if we teach the scriptures and we live them faithfully, God truly will bless that as that thought crossed us. Isn't that what he means? It is a challenge. This week we begin our uh, circuit uh, movement. Today is called Run Sunday. Many of you are familiar with that. It means that our congregation is developed into, uh, we call them routes, and there is a um, messenger bag that travels around those. Generally, they're fairly compact in geography. Some are spread out, and uh, there's a leader for each one. They were uh, early this morning. We had uh, 25 route leaders here, and they received the bags, and today they're out already. In fact, some did it in the sanctuary, changing off to the next person, uh, moving those around in the next two weeks. In that time, I want you to consider all that you can give. Some of it will come in the form of your commitment to the life of this church. Some of it needs to go in other places, too. But God calls us to the challenge. Life has a fullness about it. We learn not just to make all we can or to save all we can. We do those well. We do those wisely so that, in the end, we can give all we can. And that is pleasing to him. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you offer to us. We are here because of the generosity of those before us. They have brought about this place. They have helped to organize and maintain this facility, this congregation, and we are thankful for every one of them. But We know, Lord, there is time for us, and now is a time. You call from us a kind of generosity that reminds us of yours toward us. Open us to your presence. Guide us in your work. May what we do please you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.